Good morning, church, and happy Father's Day to those of you who are fathers. And I just pray now that you would take your Bible and open it to the book of Exodus. We'll be in Exodus chapters 14 and 15 to verse 21 of chapter 15. But today I'm going to be reading uh, to begin our time, Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. So let's look at the scriptures together as I read uh, this passage. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. The word of God reads as follows. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that there would be a confidence and a hope in our heart that you are the great deliverer, that our hope will not put us to shame. And whether we see deliverance in large measure on this earth, or in small increments, but not maybe exactly what we've prayed for. I pray that we are confident that in your timing, you are always doing what is best and you will deliver your people into your presence, into your hands for an eternity with you forever. God, give us a confidence and may it change how we live today. Make us humble, make us happy, make us unified, and may we glorify your name, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was visiting some friends in Washington, D.C. Um, a year or so ago, and uh, they, were, they had planted a church in D.C., which is part of the TCT Church Planting Network, and I wanted to spend some time with them after we had done an assessment, and so I go to a baseball field to watch a baseball game. As I'm talking to them, I was kind of paying attention, kind of not, and I was engrossed in a conversation and I faintly remember hearing the crack of the bat. For those of you who are not baseball fans, that's when the baseball actually hits the bat and it's called the crack of the bat. And the next thing I know is I look up and my friend's hand is right here. And what has just happened after I got my bearings is that that ball came off that bat very, very fast right at my face. And my friend with like cat-like reflexes went and he caught that baseball about three inches from my nose. And so as I began to process all that happened in that moment, I was so thankful that the, my nose was not in the back of my head or that they weren't carting me off to uh, a hospital with a broken face or something worse. But as I thought through that moment, my friend was an agent of deliverance. He was a help and it changed how I processed the rest of that game. I was a little more attentive from there forward. But my friend was an agent of deliverance. What is deliverance? The illustration is clear. Deliverance is a sense of rescue. It's a sense of protection. It can even mean to make someone safe. I was delivered in that moment from significant pain. And as we look at the book of Exodus here, this is the apex of the story where God delivers the people of Israel out of captivity to Egypt. It's called the Exodus. And so the Exodus is about deliverance and the punchline of 
These 14 chapters, which span over 400 years of captivity of Israel to the Egyptians, the punchline can be seen in Exodus chapter 14, verse 30, which says this. Thus the Lord saved or rescued or delivered Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. This passage, this passage is about salvation. It's about the deliverance of God's people by God's mighty hand. And all physical deliverances, not only that we see here in Exodus, but throughout the scriptures, all physical deliverance, deliverances are pointing us to the greatest deliverance, and that is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as the Exodus is described as God's deliverance, God's salvation of his people, Israel, from the hands of the Egyptians, so the cross of Jesus is the path of salvation for anyone who trusts in him. Israel was physically saved from enslavement to the Egyptians through the Red Sea, which was life for Israel and death to the enemies. And as we trust in Jesus alone for our deliverance, for our salvation, he sets us free from our enslavement to sin. And the cross was the means by which we were released from our captivity to sin and Satan and death. And it was the evidence of condemnation for God's enemies. And on the other side of that sea, the Israelites were promised God's presence to get them to the promised land. And because our Savior is not dead, he is alive. He walks with us, leading us. To the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth by the power of his Holy Spirit. So we can see that the physical deliverance of Israel, that we are meant in this passage to not only celebrate God's power and deliverance for Israel, we are to praise him for that same delivering power, that same saving power that is at work in us and for us by his Holy Spirit. So today we're just going to walk through Exodus 14 through 15 verse 21 and allow God's physical deliverance of Israel to teach us about our spiritual deliverance. The lessons given to Israel are lessons that are applicable to us today. And so there we're going to hone in on four lessons that are really made in three verses. The three verses that I read at the beginning, Exodus 14 verses 13, 14 and 15. But here are the four lessons. One, fear the Lord. Two, be still. Three, Know that God will fight for you. And four, go forward. Fear the Lord. Be still. God will fight for you. Go forward. These four lessons, these four lessons in Exodus, I pray lead us to a heart that praises our great God for his deliverance. Now, before we look at these four lessons, we got to get to the on-ramp. we got to get to verses 13, 14, and 15. And so there'll be a few micro lessons as we walk through the passage. But let's just look at it. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. The word of God says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. It's like you can imagine them in the moment. We're going to do what? One of my favorite spots in the movie Top Gun, which I had memorized as a kid. I don't know what that says about me, but I did have so much of that committed to memory. One of the greatest moments was when they were in a, a fight. It's called a dog fight when these planes were fighting with each other. And 
Maverick, who was the pilot, said to his co-pilot, I'm going to slow down so that they catch up to us. And the co-pilot said, you're going to do what? And he says, I'll slow down and then I'll hit the brakes and they'll fly right by. And that's exactly what happened and they ended up winning the battle. But this is that you're going to do what kind of moment is when he says to the people, turn back, retrace your steps. I'm going to take you a different way. And here's the lesson. The lesson is we must follow God even if it doesn't make sense to us. We must follow God even if it doesn't make sense to us. Turn back, retrace your steps, go in the opposite direction is God's directive, and they did it. So just remember, sometimes we feel like we are spinning our wheels, we're not making progress, we might even going backwards, but God is purposing a great deliverance, a great advancement of his name. So we go on in Exodus chapter to that now they're turning back and we look at Exodus 14 verses 3 and 4 and Pharaoh gets wind of this and here's what he says. He says, for Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And so this is what you can see. Pharaoh's looking at this moment and he was just like, oh, they're foolish. Can't believe what they're doing. We're going to be able to get them. And here's the second lesson. God chooses what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We've got to admit, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so, now what happens is in Exodus chapter 14, verses 6 through 9, we begin to see now Pharaoh thinking that they're doing something crazy, going the wrong way, that now he's got them and they're wandering. And so he amasses over 600 chariots and horsemen now to follow and to try to capture and retake back the people of Israel. And so when you hear this 600 chariots against 2 million people, you should think like the idea is like 600 military tanks. It's, it's that kind of we are outnumbering you. It is that kind of ominous picture for the people of Israel. They are sitting ducks and they are doomed. And so what does it lead the people of Israel to say? Well, it leads them to say that they are in great fear. Look at verse um, 11. Verse 11, or actually verse 10 of chapter 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. What you see here is the fear, the fear of the people of Israel. And in some senses, it makes sense. But here's where we dive into our first main lesson. Our first main lesson is a lesson to fear the Lord. And as they are in this uh, position, we need to understand that when we are in positions of suffering, when we are in positions of weakness, we are being formed to fear the Lord. So this first lesson, as 
We are watching the deliverance of God, watching for his deliverance. The first lesson is that his people must fear him, must fear the Lord over everything else. And we've got to see that when these crises happen, it is happening so that we would be formed to fear him more than anything else. And this is why we begin to see that it wasn't that God just went and snapped and now the Egyptians are obliterated and the people are delivered. No, it was a journey, 430 years of captivity so that they would learn to fear the Lord. This is why 10 plagues, so that they would learn to fear the Lord. This is why Moses was in preparation for 80 years so that he would learn to feel, fear the Lord. This is why the people of Israel were now led in multiple directions so that they would learn to fear the Lord. And now they are at the edge of the sea, they are encamping and these military tanks, these 600 chariots are at the threshold. And it is so that they would learn to fear the Lord. They are being formed, formed to fear the Lord above every other fear. And he's doing that in our lives as well. Sometimes we just wish that things would happen so quickly and so easily. But God wants us to be tried tried in the furnace of affliction to know that he is greater. He's better. He's wonderful. And he can be trusted. So do we fear attackers? We must say, God, you're stronger. And we fear him. You fear accusers. We say, oh God, you are our righteousness. And we fear him. Do we fear foreign systems or governments? We say, you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We fear him. Do we fear current events and what's happening? We have to see in this passage, he is our deliverer. We fear him. All of these things that could evoke fear are opportunities for us to take those fears and to look square in the eyes of our great God and to say, we fear you above every other fear. And this is what is meant to happen right now. This is meant to happen to the people of Israel. That this is, a, this is a different fear. Their fear was making them want to run back into captivity. And God is saying, no, don't fear that. Fear the Lord. Because in the fear of the Lord, it draws you into the presence of God. It draws you into loving others. Fear of other things drains us of love. And so we are being formed in the midst of our suffering to fear the Lord. That's why you read in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, you read these words. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The first lesson is that we must fear the Lord. Fear not these other things. Fear the Lord and watch for his great deliverance and salvation. The second one that he instructs us is to be still. Be still. Look at Exodus 14, verses uh, 14, verse 14. It says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Some translations say, or be still. What's happening? The people of Israel are complaining in terror and God through Moses instructs the people You've got one task right now, and that is to be silent. This word literally means to stop talking, but it's deeper than that, which is why I translate it, be still, 
because it's stop talking so that you might see and trust the work of the Lord. It's not just a, a, a being quiet with your ears and with your mouth, but it is a listening with your heart. It is be still in your heart that God is declaring to the people. You've been in those moments like I have where there's a whole bunch of people talking in a room. It, sometimes that's how our dinner table is. A whole bunch of people just talking and you can't even process what's happening and what is being said. You can't understand it. And so all of a sudden you just say, hey, can we be quiet for a second? And let's talk one at a time. Let's be silent. Why is that? It's not because what people are saying is unimportant. It's because the only way we will be able to hear and appreciate these important things is that we are silent to listen. And God wanted them to be still to see that he was not still. God wanted them to be silent to see that he was not silent. He was at work. He was fighting for his people. And it's interesting that this word silent used throughout the scriptures is many times used to describe God. Mostly it means that it's when the people feel like God is not listening or he is not attentive. He is not acting or he seems to be deaf to our cries. But in Exodus, he said the opposite already. He hears their groans. He cares for them. We have seen how he is acting. So when he tells them to be still, he is not saying or be silent. He is not saying be deaf to God's voice. No, on the contrary, he is saying stop your mouths and focus your hearts on me so that you can hear me speaking and watch me work. There's a couple of examples in the scriptures, Isaiah 41.1, which helps us when God says, listen to me, O coastlands. And he tells them, he tells them that that is where their strength is going to be renewed. One of my favorite passages, Zephaniah 3:17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you, silence you by his love. His love is so amazing that it leaves you awestruck. And that moment is meant to help you to see that he is at work. So here in Exodus 14, 14, it's not a lazy day. It's not a quiet day at the office that he tells them to be still and to be quiet. No, it's one of the most intense days of their lives. And he says this, be still, listen, listen to me. And one of the most crucial disciplines in growing maturity as a follower of Jesus in growing into his likeness, in drawing near to him, is learning how to be still, be silent before the Lord. Because he speaks to us today, still, through his word. And he is at work still today. And so prayer is not just for us to talk. No, first, it's not an asking moment, it's a communing moment. Prayer is first about being with the Lord. And it's not just on those days that it is lazy in the office or that things are slow. It is in those most intense days that he is calling his people to look for his deliverance. And that begins by being still. 
We've talked about this a lot, but we must begin to build in normal rhythms of stillness, morning times in the word, evening times with the word. I was so helped by author Peter Cesaro when he describes his experience, which mirrors mine at times too, and I hope that it resonates with you. He says this, within a couple of hours after being with God in the morning, I easily forgot God was active in my everyday by lunch, I was grumpy and short with people. By late afternoon, God's presence had disappeared from my consciousness. By the time dinner was over, he felt a long way off. And after observing my behavior for a couple of hours, my wife and children were always wondering, what happened to dad's Christianity? And he says, by nine o'clock, I was asking myself the same question. And then he goes on to say, if we can stop, if we can learn to stop for one day a week or for many Sabbaths, M-I-N-I, -I, many Sabbaths each day, that means stopping throughout the day, we touch something deep within us as image bearers of God. Our human brain, our bodies, our spirits, and our emotions become wired by God for the rhythm of work and rest in Him. And so God is calling us not only to fear him, but to be still, to be still, to allow God to have all of you, to stop in the busyness, some of the most intense times and take five minutes and just say, oh God, I need you. I want to hear from you. It is my delight right now to be with you so that when the terror comes, when the struggle comes, we have crafted and cultivated a rhythm of work and rest where we fear him only and we remember that God is fighting for us. And this is the third thing that God wants us to remember and think on as we are watching for his deliverance. The third lesson is God will fight for us. God will fight for us. There are few sweeter words in all of scripture. God will fight for us. I mean, just think of that. We are being fought for. If a husband wants to communicate his love for his wife, he looks at her in the eye and he says, I'm going to fight for you. I'm not going to give up when things get hard. I'm going to fight for you. And when a parent looks at their children and they say, I'm going to fight for you. No matter how much you push me off, no matter how much you are frustrated at me, I love you and I will always be here. I will never stop loving you. I'm going to fight for you. When you say that to a friend, to a neighbor, when you say that to one another in the church, that's what makes us strong is to say you are worth it. You are precious and I will fight for you. I will fight for this relationship. Being fought for communicates value. It communicates you're worth it. And I just want to take a brief aside, a brief aside. And I need you to listen to everything that I say here. But a brief aside to say this is why the statement Black Lives Matter is so significant. Please listen. It is saying you are 
equally valuable. Minority brothers and sisters, you are made in God's image. You are worth fighting for. So we need to be able to say to our black and brown brothers and sisters, to our neighbors, that black lives do matter. Black lives matter. Please. Now, when I say this, talk to me about what I mean and do not assume what I mean. This is genuine love is when we talk about what people mean to them. Some of you won't know what I'm about to say here, but some of you are and you need to hear it. I want to clearly state that I reject the roots and tent core tenets of critical race theory and intersectionality and cultural Marxism and the Black Lives Matter movement and website and liberation theology and its social gospel. And I reject those things. And I think the defund the police movement is a horrible idea that disrespects the many men and women who put themselves in harm's way to protect us. But I also believe there are bad apples in law enforcement and there must, they must be identified and there must be, they swiftly must be brought to justice and that reform must happen in our police departments and in our justice system and beyond that. But this is true because black lives matter. They're significant to God. They're valuable. And my plea for us today is for us to mirror a God who fights for his people to say, I love you and you matter to me. Fight for your brothers and sisters of color by being listeners, learners. May we be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. And may we feel the freedom to say black lives matter. All black lives matter from the womb to the tomb. May we say your black life matters to me. And please, saying all lives matter in retort is totally missing the point. Of course, all lives matter. But say a woman comes to me and she says, my dad just died and I am hurting deeply. And my response to her is, well, all dads die eventually. And you're like, what? That might be true. All dads will die eventually. But what? Is that really the response we're going to give? It's totally missing the point. It's not loving. It's missing the point of the pain. It's not capturing the moment to say to that person, you matter to me. You matter to God. I grieve with you in this moment. So church, fight for unity. Say to brothers and sisters and to neighbors of color, you are worth fighting for. Your life matters. Now the aside is over. But this passage wants us to make sure that we stand in awe that our God fights for us. Our hope ultimately cannot be in how we fight for each other. Because we're all going to sin. We're all going to make mistakes. We're going to say things wrongly. We're going to mess up. Our pursuit of love will fall short. Our hope, according to this passage, is that God fights for us. 
Our hope is in the power of a God who says, you are precious to me and I will fight for you. And I just want you to see the many examples of how God is fighting for his people here in this passage. You see it in Exodus chapter 14, verse 9, where he sends the angel of the Lord who was leading them to now move behind them between Israel and the people of Egypt. He was fighting for them. Exodus 14, 19. We see him drive back the sea into walls of water. Exodus 14, verses 21 to 22. He's fighting for them. We see him making the seabed dry ground so that over 2 million people can walk across safely, delivered. We see that in Exodus 14, verses 21 to 22. Then we see him asking Moses to stretch out his hand a second time and the waters collapse in on the Egyptians. And it says in Exodus 14, 26 to 27, he threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. God is fighting for them. And all of this God fighting for them is summarized in Exodus 14, verse 30. The Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. Our God fought for them. Our God fights for us. He fights for us. And we've got to remember this. That our faith is meant to be strengthened by these passages right here to know that nothing is impossible for our God. Our God is able, because he fights for us, to change hard hearts into hearts of flesh. Yes, he is able. He will bring the nations to himself through gospel proclamation of his people. He will because he's fighting for us. He will make all wrongs right one day and he will come again, executing vengeance and justice upon the wicked and delivering his people into his presence by his mercy. He will do that because he's fighting for us and he will bring some of his heavenly kingdom down here on this earth. His kingdom come as will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He will do that. May we pray for it. Is our God able to stop racism and unjust systems? He is able. Is he able to bring breakthroughs in legislation for our prisons, for the unborn, for law enforcement, for the immigrant? Is he able to do this? Yes, he is able. Is our God able to unify us as a people despite all of our political shades and differences? Yes. This is the point and we need to remember God will fight for you. So I just think some homework needs to be done. Some homework needs to be done. We need to stop and write down. Stop and write down. How has God fought for you in the past? How has he fought for you? Write it down. How is God fighting for you right now? Sometimes the clouds of life cloud it up. Ask God to show you how he's fighting for you right now. And write down how he has promised to fight for you. His promises are sure. And we've got hope because they are so sure. We've got to remember and record and meditate on, and memorize and rehearse that our God will fight for you. And he is fighting for us. And so we go to our last point in verse 15. In verse 15 comes the last lesson. First lesson, fear the Lord. Second lesson, be still. Third lesson, God will fight for you. And now 
The last lesson is go forward in faith. Go forward in faith. Look at Exodus 14, verse 15, when he says this, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Isn't it interesting? Like, I know I've kind of drug it out with points in a sermon, but like one verse earlier, Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. You have only one thing to do, be still. And then God says right after that, go forward. So it's like this crazy tension and rhythm of the Christian life. Be still, act. Be still, act. Walk in faith, go forward. This is the Christian walk. It is a walking in the spirit by faith. Be still, move in faith. Be still, move in faith. These are not at odds. This is the call of God for us as we watch for his deliverance. It reminds me of Psalm 37, 5 when he says this, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. It is all my plans, all my actions are yours, but I must act. So I'm going to trust your providence. I'm going to trust that you're carrying my my feet and that you will guide me and you will tell me this is the wrong way and you will press me this way. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him and he will act. He will fight for you. And so we have to have in our life a rhythm of stillness and rehearsing that he will fight for us, but acting. And sometimes when we act, after we act, we can then act and then all of a sudden be afraid again. And remember, these moments of fear are times when God is forming us to not fear this thing that we're afraid of, but to fear the Lord. This is what you can kind of imagine is happening in Exodus 14, verse 22. Exodus 14, 22, it says, Then the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and left hand. Can you imagine this moment? <laughs> First of all, over two million people. So like once you're walking on the dry ground... It's like, there's nowhere else to go. You are kind of trapped in. If anybody's had like claustrophobic moments, that's probably one of them. But you'll have some people who are so filled with faith as they're walking through that dry seabed, they're looking around and just like, look at what God is doing. And then you have others who have a mustard seed of faith because they're still walking, but they are saying, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. But they keep walking, they keep walking. This is our life. Sometimes there's strong faith. Sometimes there's small faith, but they both get delivered. Tim Keller says this. He notes, it's not the amount of faith that saves us, but the presence of faith that saves us. Please, amen that. It's not that you are always really strong with no doubts. It's the presence of faith. It's, and some of that faith is demonstrated by just acting, stepping forward, doing what God has called you to do. And he says, trust me, go forward in faith. And look at Exodus 14, verses 30 and 31. Thus the Lord saved Israel from that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore and Israel saw the great power of the Lord that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses and what this led to this fearing of the Lord, this going forward in the Lord, it led to singing. 
In Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 to 21, little, a few verses in there are, are, are narrative, but it's a song. It's a song of the people singing to God. And here's what they sang, Exodus 15, 1 and 2. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That is, he's my deliverer. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 15, they're still singing. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble. Then they keep singing Exodus 15 verses 11 through 13. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. And it all ends with this. The Lord will reign forever and ever. And then Miriam grabs tambourine in hand and leads the women around in singing and dancing. And this is how this section ends. Dear friends, deliverance is something that is not just mental. It is something that affects our bodies and affects our soul. Praise is deep. And when you experience the deliverance of God, he is worthy of the singing and the shouting and the praising and friends, what needs to be characterizing the people of God is that they are singing. They are writing poems, writing songs. They're dancing to the Lord. Even art should come out of our pain to reflect the greatness and power and deliverance of our God. And as our series in Exodus is wrapping up, we've got a few more weeks. I want to encourage you, write, write. Write, share, sing, celebrate the many lessons that we have been learning in the book of Exodus. Many of us, we are longing for deep, vibrant growth in God. But for many of us, we aren't growing, not because we don't have more information or we need new information. We need a new bit of understanding. No, many of us aren't growing because we are not remembering and meditating and implementing and sharing what we have, what we already know and what we have been taught and yet forgotten. Dear friends, write, share. I thought about this. I grow so much from being forced in some senses to write a sermon. Some of you need to take some time and write a two-page, maybe a four-page sermon and share it with your family, share it with neighbors, or share it with your community group, something. Share it. Stop waiting to be fed and be a self-feeder. We hope to equip you with all the tools that we can, but your growth, your growth requires you and me to be still before the Lord, to rehearse and remember, to meditate. It's hard work. And he says, go forward, do the work, go forward. I'll be with you. What does go forward look like? It means make your life intentional. Make your life count. Some of that is intentional stillness with the Lord, as we've already talked about. 
Some of that is just the remembering how God has fought for you or how he is fighting for you or how he will fight for you, as we've already talked about. For others, it's sharing with the church or your community group or lost family or unbelieving neighbors your story and how it's collided with God's story and the greatness of our God to save by his grace. For others, it's giving generously to the church and its mission. For others, it's dreaming about how to use your life for the vulnerable, not as a means of salvation, but as a step in obedience and love to Jesus. Go forward. Walk. I can't tell you how many times I can worry and complain and get frustrated more than I stop and I talk to God about the things that I worry about and complain about or get frustrated about. Go forward. Go to him in your pains, in your cries, in your crises, in your confusion, in your decision making. Go forward. But church, in a rhythm of stillness, in confidence that you're being fought for, fearing the Lord, go forward. Act in faith. Trust the Lord to carry you for the glory of his name, the good of his people, and seeing lost people come to faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, please help us. Help us to trust you, to follow you with our lives. May we learn these lessons today as we wait and watch for your deliverance. And may we celebrate. May we be singers. Your great gospel work in our lives and your promises for us until we see you. Father, work in your church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings.